Welcome to the Guide and Cancel Culture podcast. I'm Stephen Strang. You probably know I have another podcast, much bigger podcast, that's been going since 2015 called The Strang Report. And I recently did an interview with Sue Perlman of Jews for Jesus, and she talked about how Jews for Jesus have been canceled. It really fit in to this whole thing about God and cancel culture. It ran a couple of weeks ago. You may have heard about it, but I felt it was so important that I wanted to put it on this podcast. I also want to remind you when I'm recording this in late August that the book is coming out on September 7th, but if you're listening to it before then, you can pre-order it on Amazon, and I hope that you will. So without further ado is my interview with Sue Perlman that originally released on my other podcast, The Strang Report. Welcome to The Strang Report with Steve Strang on the Charisma Podcast Network. This episode was produced to discuss and address issues within our nation and around the world from a Christian worldview. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to you, Sue. I'm so happy to see you. You come and see us in Orlando every so often, and I'm a big believer in what you do, so much so that I support you on a monthly basis. Yes, you do, and I'm very grateful for that. You and Joy have been uh, wonderful prayer partners and supporters of the work of Jews for Jesus and my ministry in particular. Well, thank you. I know you have bigger donors, but I believe in what you do. and None more faithful uh, than that's you. That's right. <laughs> it has been a long time. And in fact, we were just uh, talking about it, that I've known Sue since the early 1980s. And I can remember visiting Jews for Jesus headquarters out in San Francisco. It made a real impression on me. As I recall, you showed me around. We went to a Japanese restaurant, as I recall. And so we go way, way back. But we're here to talk about Jews for Jesus. You worked closely with Moish Rosen, who I had the privilege of knowing and interacting with in significant ways. He's the founder of Jews for Jesus. He's been in heaven, I'm guessing, since the 1990s. Is that right? Well, in, in the 2000s. In the early, early 2000s? Early 2000s, yes. Well, he would, I guess he would have stepped away from leadership a little bit earlier than that. Yeah, he, he stepped away from the leadership in 1996. Um, and then lived uh, and worked in the ministry for another 10 years. Oh, wow. I guess I kind of lost touch with him those last few years, but he was a real visionary. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit of how Jews for Jesus started back in the late 1960s? Okay. We actually began uh, just around 1970, kind of at the height of the Jesus movement, um, I wasn't yet a believer in Jesus uh, when uh, the movement began, uh, but um, Moish Rosen had been a veteran missionary to the Jews uh, for 17 years and, uh, and realized that there needed to be something different done to reach Jewish people than what had been done up until that point. And so he, he put on some jeans and a jean jacket embroidered with a statement like Jews for Jesus or Jesus made me kosher. He went out on the college campuses and he talked to young people uh, and tried to to hear what they had to say about life and faith. And it was really quite um, a uh, uh, an eye opener for him. And he realized that he wasn't really communicating to the people he most wanted to reach. So he started writing literature that was a little different than what was then the traditional gospel tracks with 
um, small type and lots of scripture verses. He, he hand calligraphied these pamphlets um, and, uh, and they were written in the voice of like a nine-year-old boy. And, uh, and he had statements like, if being born hasn't given you much satisfaction, try being born again. Or <laughs> That's funny <laughs> and very creative. Very creative. Um, and, you know, and he, you know, he was an older guy compared to the people he was reaching. So he wrote one that was entitled A Message from a Square. And he had this little stick figure with a square uh, head to it. And, um, and he talked about, you know, what was really important in life. And, uh, and people uh, gravitated toward those tracks, and they um, uh, were eager to talk more. And he had the time. He would sit on, on park benches or on campus uh, uh, quads and just talk with people who needed to hear. Well, I'm not Jewish, so I did not grow up in that. I was always aware that there were outreaches to Jewish people. They used to call them maybe Hebrew Christians and things like that. And basically, they quit being Jewish and became Christians. And there were a number of people, including Moish himself, who would have made that odyssey. And Jews for Jesus kind of changed everything, at least in my opinion. Suddenly, you could be Jewish and believe in Jesus, which is very controversial in Jewish circles, you know, even among very liberal Jews who don't have much faith or they don't really practice their religion except, you know, in a perfunctory way during the high holy days or something. You know, there's a real backlash, lots of controversy. It made the news. It did make the news. And one of the, the things that I think was so unusual about what was the Jews for Jesus movement was that we were we were Jewish people who said, you know, by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Messiah, we were not repenting of our Jewishness. We were repenting of our sin. We didn't stop being Jews. Um, Paul and all the uh, early followers of Jesus didn't become ex-Jews when they followed him. Um, In fact, back then, what we call Christianity today would have been a Jewish sect. Exactly. And it had names like The Way, and of course, Christians weren't even called Christians until, wasn't it, in Antioch Antioch or was when that, yeah, was the first and, use of And, you know, of, the of course, term. at some point around 300 A.D., give or take, it became the state religion, and nothing's been the same since. But up until that point, it was a Jewish sect. Jesus and all his disciples were Jewish. Jesus came himself. Uh, he said that he came to fulfill the law, not to replace the law. And there was kind of a parting of the ways. In fact, the New Testament calls about one new man. I hope I say this right, both yes. Jewish and Christian, one new man in, in Christ Jesus. And so, in a way, Jews for Jesus and other expressions of Christian Zionism that I've been involved with, as anyone who follows my career knows, is in some ways kind of hearkening back to that. And a lot of churches incorporate certain Jewish things into their their church life. Songs that sound kind of Hebrew. Uh, sometimes it's singing uh, some of the, uh, the scriptures. And a lot of churches will do kind of a Christian version of Passover. In fact, you do that in your own ministry. Don't you go into churches and, and kind of share the 
you know, what is the meaning of Passover? We do Passover as well as uh, the other uh, feasts of Israel. We do something on the Feast of Tabernacles and um, on, you know, because all of these were holidays that are, were celebrated by Jesus. And you see them uh, throughout the gospel accounts. Um, and it's so interesting because oftentimes some of the leaders in the Jewish community will say, well, we're appropriating Jewish symbols and Jewish traditions. Well, we're not appropriating them any more than Jesus did. Jesus took the uh, Passover cup and said, this is my blood, which is given for you. He took, he took the matzah, the un, unleavened bread, and said, this is my body broken for you. So he was actually celebrating Passover on what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. And a lot of Christians don't even know that. It's true. It's true. And, and so this is something we like to uh, bring to churches oftentimes because it helps, it helps Christians recognize that their faith is linked. It's, it's ancient. It goes all the way back uh, to what God did uh, through uh, his Jewish people, his chosen people, and, and the spiritual seed of Abraham, uh, those who are not Jewish by birth, but who have the Jewish Messiah living in them can celebrate those holidays as well. I think Paul talked about being grafted into the vine. Yes. And, and that the blessings that God promised to Israel are to us as believers— and I've tried to explain this a couple of times with not a lot of success to non-believing Jewish friends of mine. They, they just can't seem to conceive it. In fact, I'm thinking, you know, with things going on, on the Internet, who knows which of my neighbors is going to listen to this. So if you're listening to it, I want you to know I really love you and I pray for you. <laughs> and I respect and I respect, you know, how you feel. But also the love toward the Jewish people is genuine and it. You know, some Jewish people think that it's fake to try to do a bait and switch to get them to convert. And there's this there's this thing about converting, you know, I guess leaving Judaism and converting to Christianity. But really, Jewish people can believe in their Messiah. Isn't this where the term Messianic Jews came from? Yes. And and back to the word convert, the actually the Hebrew word for that is shuv, and it means to turn. And what the, the Bible talks about is our turning from sin and to God. It's not turning from our Jewish roots. And that's, that, con- that connection has to be made. People have to understand we're not asking people to stop being Jews when they become followers of Jesus. And, and even just understanding Jesus' name. You know, the Hebrew for Jesus is Yeshua, which means God saves and it's throughout the Old Testament scriptures that you can find that, that name. Hine el Yeshuati, behold, God is my salvation, right from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. And, and, and Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's the, you know, it, it, it is from the word Christos, which means anointed one, which means Messiah. So, so it's a Greek form of Messiah. Exactly, exactly. And, of course, it came over into English, and all these things are so interesting to me. And, but I'm interested in your story because you made reference to the fact that when Moish started around 1970, I know that in an odd kind of way it came out of the Jesus movement of the same era. I'm not sure exactly how it all fits together, but there are a lot of people that were reaching out to young people, like you described, Moish, with 
kind of modern techniques and slogans and things like that. But how did you have your eyes open spiritually? Well, it was really as part of the Jesus movement, just as you said. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit was poured out in a way that the churches weren't able to um, uh, effectuate change, but God was. And among the people that the Holy Spirit was visiting back then were a lot of Jews. Um, Time magazine uh, had an article about how the street people, uh, the the hippies, about 30% of them were Jewish, even though we made up only 2% of the population of this country. And it was among this group that God uh, really touched many uh, with the gospel. And um, I heard the gospel from one of those uh, Jesus people. Um, a, That's what they used to call them, wasn't it? That's right. They called them Jesus people. And, and he was a, um, actually a, um, an artist, a, a musician. Um, uh, he, uh, uh, he was from California, but uh, was out in New York where I, I grew up. And I, I met him in a, what I thought was a chance encounter on the street, but nothing is by chance with God. And uh, it was a divine appointment. And, um, and Larry is his name. Uh, he had a guitar on his back. He had long blonde hair down to his shoulders. I had seen a, a cover story in Time magazine, actually, about the Jesus movement. And it had a, kind of a very day-glow, um, hippie-looking Jesus on the cover. And you know, I, I think I remember that issue. It you was might, kind of iconic. Yes. And I, I, I looked at Larry, and he had a, a button on that said, Smile, God loves you. And I thought, this is one of the Jesus people, you know, like the movement I had read about. And so I stopped him, and we started a conversation. And uh, I, I asked him, you know, what exactly was it that he believed? Now, wouldn't a lot of your listeners love to have someone do that with them, stop them and say, <laughs> what is it exactly that you believe? And, uh, and that's what I did. And, uh, and Larry said, it's kind of noisy out here on the street in New York. You know, maybe we can go into a coffee shop, which... Uh, there was one right nearby, and we walked in, sat down. Um, I ordered a cup of coffee. I remember he he ordered a glass of milk, and I thought to myself, that's what Christians are like. They drink milk, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then he shared the gospel with me. Now, I managed to get through um, a better part of my young adult life without ever hearing the gospel. But here, here it was, the plain truth that Jesus came and died for my sins and rose from the dead and that I could have forgiveness of those sins and, and a new life in him for eternity. And I, I listened and I, um, and I thought, well, this is nice. After all, he's a blonde hair, blue-eyed uh, Gentile, and they believe this. Um, but I thought he better know who I am because he doesn't really know who he's talking to. And I said, listen... Um, I think you should know I'm Jewish. Now, I have to tell you, when I said that, I thought that he was going to apologize, say, I had no idea you were Jewish, and I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you. But instead, his response was, oh, that's great. Now, I thought it was great that I was Jewish, but I had no idea why he would think it was great. And then he told me that the New Testament was written by Jews, his Savior was a Jew, and it was the most Jewish thing in the world and to believe you didn't in know Jesus. This. As, a, as an American, 
Jewish young woman, you did not know that Jesus was Jewish? You know, I think I theoretically knew it, but my image of Jesus uh, came a lot from literature and movies, and there wasn't a Jewish Jesus in that picture for me. So this was the first time I actually entertained the idea that Jesus might have been a Jew. And, uh, and, uh, and then he invited me to a church that he was going to be doing a concert in. Uh, now, I had traveled to Europe the summer before and had been to the Vatican. And so my answer to him was, well, I've been to your biggest church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got him to go to another church. But he said, well, I'm not inviting you to a building as much as to an experience. And I'd love for you to come with me. And so I did. And I heard the gospel again from many other young people at this church. I heard it in the songs that he sang. And people in that church started praying for me that very night, Steve. And it was just amazing uh, because prayer is so powerful. I had no idea. Um, and uh, I, um, I started having a, a kind of a thirst, a hunger inside to know more. Um, I was also very impressed that they understood my Bible better than I did. They quoted different uh, scriptures to me from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Old Testament, and, uh, and I didn't know those scriptures, and they, they did it by memory. And so I went home, I started looking uh, in the Bible, and the more I read, the more God started ministering to my heart and letting me know that I actually had this, this chasm, this, this separation between me and my God. Up until then, I thought I was okay. I was a pretty good person, you know, hadn't done any major things wrong, you know, kept the Ten Commandments, you know, I wasn't going to have a problem. And yet I realized compared to a holy and righteous God, as I read his word, I needed something more. And it was How just long was it, was it before you actually made the leap of faith? Well, it was very short time. I mean, most of the time, Jewish people take quite a long time, and it's true with a lot of the people I visit with and meet with. But for me, this whole thing happened in a matter of a few weeks. Um, and I think that maybe it was in God's um, you know, providence that it happened so quickly because one of the things that I didn't do was think about the repercussions with my family. I grew up in a traditional Jewish uh, family, um, no one believed in Jesus in my family. I, it would have been very difficult for me to um, make that leap of faith knowing that my family might well reject me for it. What did they do? Well, they were shocked. They were numb. My mother wanted me to promise not to tell anyone else in the family what I had done. Um, my sister, one of my sisters wanted me to go see a psychiatrist um, my other sister just thought I was being rebellious. Um, I had roommates who were not Jewish uh, that I lived with, and they also thought, why would I possibly want to be interested in Christianity? They had outgrown it. Uh, so I didn't really have any uh, encouragement uh, from the people around me, but I did have God who held me close to him and, uh, and, uh, and the Bible. And... Um, and then meeting Christians along How did the way. you connect with Jews for Jesus? Well, I, I connected with Moish Rosen, this very strange character who was heading up. He was like a middle-aged guy heading up a youth movement in California. 
And uh, he had talked to a friend of mine in New York and said, keep your eye open for spark plugs, some Jewish believers that, you know, could really maybe count for God um, out here with us. And so I didn't know that. This friend of mine um, called him and said, I think I found one for you, Moish. And so he said, well, have her call me. Well, I thought I was calling Moish just to get to know another Jewish believer in Jesus because he lived in in California. At the time, I was working as a copywriter in an ad agency right out of college. I landed a really good job. I I had a a good salary, a a great apartment in Manhattan, a, a good church. I had a life that I was very happy with. I was not looking to change anything. And uh, Moish uh, and I started talking on the telephone, and he said to me, Susan, how do you see yourself serving God for the rest of your life? And uh, no one had asked me that question. I'd been a believer about a year at that point. And I said, well, um, I write for a living. I would love to write things that glorify God. And um, I was directing an amateur children's theater group uh, doing block parties on the streets of New York. I said I'd have a little bit of drama experience. would love to do some. At that time, there was something called street theater that was going on. I would love to do some street theater that told people about Jesus. And Moish paused for a second. He said, well, you know, you could do both those things with us out here in California. He said, I don't have a job to offer you, but I can promise you this. If I have a roof over my head, you'll have a roof over your head. And if I have uh, food on my table, you'll have food on your table. That was the benefit package. (laughs) He said, when can you come? And uh, I couldn't believe the words out of my mouth. I have to really believe this was the Spirit of God um, speaking through me because I was more shocked than anyone when I said, well, I I need to give my job two weeks' notice. And Moore said, okay, I'll see you in two weeks. And he hung up the telephone. And that was my job interview. Oh, wow. And it changed your life. And it changed my entire life. So, you know, these podcasts are short by design, and I hope to do some other podcasts with you. But as we wrap this up, I want to give you the last word on anything else that you haven't shared about your story that you think is important for my listeners. Well, I, I think the important thing, the most important thing to say is that if you have Jewish friends and you think that there's no way they're going to consider Jesus, um, I'm a living example that that's just not true. Keep praying for them. Prayer is really powerful. And look for opportunities to share the, the good news with them. You know, most Jewish people um, are less secure in what they don't believe than you are in what you do. Interesting. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Susan Perlman, Jews for Jesus, for taking time to share with my listeners. I know a lot of my listeners love Israel and the Jewish people. So share this with others. Put it on social media. Let's get the word out. So until the next time, thank you for listening to The Strang Report on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Stephen Strang. Thank you for listening to The Strang Report with Steve Strang. To read more from Steve, visit his blog, The Strang Report, on charismamag.com. Again, that's The Strang Report on charismamag.com. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. 
Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. 